0: that Jesus is not just a, a teacher or a good guy, or, but He is the Son of God. We thank You, Father, that You gave Your only Son and that He died and He rose again so we could have life. Lord, we just receive that right now. Lord, we're asking You to reveal Yourself to us. We're asking that You would teach us how to walk with You. And Lord, we ask that You would de- be glorified as we give to You, Lord, as we learn about You, as we invest our lives in the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and collect those. Go with me, uh, turn with me to uh, John chapter 11 and also to Matthew 21. And I just want to encourage you, this, uh, this week is obviously the Passion Week, what we would normally celebrate uh, uh, Sunday, Jesus came into Jerusalem. This is what we've been talking about all morning. And then the, by that by Friday, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. on the third day, the, the next Sunday, he was risen from the grave. Obviously, most of you know that. I want to really encourage you this week portions of scripture in uh, starting in matthew twenty one and just read through it and really like connect with what was going on there was a tremendous amount that was going on. You could read it in the Gospel of Mark, in Matthew, in Luke, even in John, and just kind of see what's going on there. Also encourage you, we're not having like a specific Good Friday service. Sometimes we do for various reasons, but we're not necessarily, um, we don't really do a lot of tradition things around here, but what we do do is a lot of things in our life groups. So I want to really encourage you, get with your life group, whether your life group's on a Monday, or a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, and I want to encourage you to focus on Jesus' death and resurrection this week. And especially I would encourage you in your life groups. Those of you who are life group Ten life groups. Take communion together. Go buy some grape juice. Some Welch's grape juice. And go buy some uh, matzah crackers or something like that. And have a meal even. You can even have a whole meal. I'd encourage you if you don't do a life group. Do it with your family. Have a have a, uh, take the Lord's Supper with your kids or as a family or with your roommates or with some neighbors of yours or, or, uh, or something like that and just remember what the Lord has done and take that communion uh, in that place of remembrance. It could be any of the days of this week, but obviously Thursday was the actual day of the Lord's Supper. Friday was the day of His, of his uh, death. And then, of course, when we come back next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating that Jesus is alive and He's living in us and He's coming soon. Amen? So John chapter uh, uh, 11, actually, it'll be chapter 12. And like I said, Matthew 21, uh, I forgive Alan Withrow already that he just preached my message, but that's all right. I'm just messing. I think that that was really a kind of neat. I want to exactly what um, exactly what Alan said is true. There was a great multitude. If you look in John chapter 12, verse 12, it says the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. There was tons of people. We're not just talking about like 10 people. We're not just talking about 12 disciples, nor are we talking about just the multitude that was coming with Jesus to the feast. I don't know if many of you know, but there were way more than just 12 disciples. There were 12 disciples plus a bunch of others who believed in Jesus and were following Him as disciples. And they had all traveled with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And on this day, they were coming down the Mount of Olives, which is really just a small hill adjacent to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a a hill. The Mount of Olives is another hill. They're coming down the Mount of Olives through a valley into Jerusalem. And this huge multitude a bunch of people with Jesus, the 12 disciples obviously leading the way, and then a ton of people coming out of the city, meet Jesus and go with Jesus into the city. We're talking thousands of people probably. This is the biggest Jewish festival, uh, as one of the youth quoted, a moneymaker for sure. It's one of the reasons why Jesus ransacked the temple precincts because they were extorting the people and making money from something that was meant to be a time of connecting with the Lord, right? So they're coming in and their excitement... The the, 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 the the singing and the, and the palm branches and the excitement was just stirring everyone. And I have always been moved by a verse in verse 18. It's basically what uh, Alan said, and I kind of want to take what Alan said as the context, and I want to apply it to our lives today. In verse 18 of chapter 12, <clears throat> it says this. Well, we'll start in verse 17 and then 18. It's probably better. Verse 17, Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Verse 18, it just rocks me. For this reason, they were all there. For this reason. Why were they there? Because a bunch of people who didn't believe in Jesus saw Jesus raise a man from the dead. A bunch of them believed, and a bunch of them didn't, but they all spread the word. I mean, I love what one of the youths said. He said, said, it's all over the internet. Literally, this is viral. And here's the point. When lives are changed... You don't have to tell anyone to tell anyone. Right? When people put their faith in Jesus and their lives are rocked to the core and people who were dead and broken, marriages that were dead and broken, bodies that were dead and broken, and they're changed and life happens, you you don't have to be... You should tell people. Right? I mean... When you go to a good restaurant and you have a good meal, do you have to tell anyone, hey, you should tell other people about that restaurant? No. What do we do? Oh, dude, you gotta go check this place out. Right? You go to a hotel, it's really nice, hey, you gotta go check this out. Or you go see a movie, what do we do? Oh, dude, I saw this movie. It's like, it's like the basis of probably most of our conversations in, in America, media, right? Hey, you should see that movie. Hey, you should see that movie. And yet when it comes to the gospel, we you should go to church. You should go to church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was talking to Clint this week, and, and he just said something that we say out around here a lot. And it just hit me again. But he says it all the time. Healthy things reproduce. And something got me about that. And I realized... There's only one time that a living organism doesn't reproduce, and that's when something's hindering that growth. But when fear and shame and selfishness are broken off the hearts of God's people, what will happen? A spontaneous reproduction. Amen? Because naturally healthy things reproduce, and nothing can stop it. And that's really what's going on here in our church That if our lives are being changed, and if God is doing great things in our life, and we truly are connecting with the Lord without the fear of man, right? Without shame hindering our lives from being changed. It just comes exploding out of our lives. That's the way it is happening. That's the way it should happen as well. I don't say that, obviously, to make anyone feel bad. You guys know that if you know me. Well, I say that to say, if there's something hindering, let's get it out. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Let's get it out. But this is absolutely amazing. A life was transformed. Everyone saw it, and it's the reason why they were there. So you have disciples, and you have, and you have uh, believers there, there with Jesus, but you also had this huge crowd of people who were just what? Curious. They were just like, I want to check this out. I want to see who this person is. I want to see, did he really raise the dead? What's this guy all about? I want to know. And I, and I love what it said there in verse 12. It says, when they heard. Do you know that most of the miracles in the New Testament happen because someone heard about Jesus? I love it. One of my favorite stories is Mark chapter 5. You remember the woman who had the, um, the uh, she had a bleeding problem, an internal bleeding problem for 12 years. Doctors could not fix her. It, they actually, all she did was waste her money and they made it worse. And it says in Mark chapter 5, I love it. It says, but when she heard about Jesus, she said to herself, if only I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Right? Something awakened inside of her that wasn't there before. It was called faith. Faith defined by, if I'll just touch him, I will be healed. She was confident. She expected that it would happen for her. And how did that expectation rise inside of her heart? How is it that she was moved from a place of despair and not trusting anyone and not thinking that she'd ever be well again to, God can do it in my life? How did that happen? Because somebody said, dude, did you hear about that leper? Seriously, Jesus touched a leper. He didn't get leprosy. He took it away. Oh, dude, did you hear about that little girl? Seriously, we thought, she, we knew she was dead. We knew she was dead. He walks in and says, she's just sleeping. We all laughed at him. And then she was alive. Stories like that. Story after story after story after story. People didn't have to. It, it, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Not just when you're preaching the Bible. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know anything. All you have to know is I was dead, I'm alive. I was blind, now I see. All you have to be is a witness of what Jesus has done for you. I don't know. I was just an innocent bystander, and now I'm saved. No, I'm. Just- you put your faith in Jesus, but it's, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. My life was going down this way. I put my faith in Jesus. I have no idea. Somehow He changed me. You don't, you don't even have to know how it works. You know? Tell me, tell me. How does it work? How does electricity work? How does it get from A to Z? And da 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 da. I don't know. I flipped the switch. I put my faith in Jesus. You don't have to be an expert. You just need to be a witness. But I'm telling you, faith is awakened in other people's hearts where there was no faith. When you praise God in their e- before their ears, when you open your mouth and boast about your God and what He is doing in your life and other people's lives. We've been talking about this the last few weeks, gossiping about God. It's one of the greatest strategies of just spreading the word virally around the world. Do you want to know what my God has done? Why are you different? Oh, yeah, let me tell you. Jesus. Right? So many of the conversations I've ever had are just, Hey, Dave, why are you different? They meant that in a good way. <laughs> My family, not so much. <laughs> and I just say, Well, let me tell you. Or, hey, why are you a pastor? I love that nowadays. <laughs> I just go right back to 16 years old. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> I just go right for the real core of it. I take every opportunity I can to boast about what God has done in my life. I take every opportunity to gossip about what God is doing in our church or in or in his church around the world. It doesn't have to be about our church. But, I mean, really, in our church, Rachel, she had a leg that was longer than the other. Not anymore. No... No little heel thing anymore. Right? There's people in our church who are addicted to drugs and stuff. Not anymore. And some of us are still in process. Praise the Lord. God's grace is sufficient for us. Right? There, there are people who, who weren't following Jesus and their life was falling apart. And now it's not. And what I'm saying is when lives are changed, naturally you're going to go out and just tell everyone about how God has changed your life. And you need to eat at that restaurant. Right? Now you need to come to that church. Go to Matthew 21 and look at what... I love this. What was the atmosphere like? Everyone's gathering. And it says in Matthew 21, verse 8, saying the same thing as the other places a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I love this verse, verse 10. Listen. And when he had come into Jerusalem, so he passed through the city gates, through the walls, into the actual city of Jerusalem, it says all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Literally, the word means to be shaken like an earthquake. It's the same word as an earthquake. Literally, something inside of their hearts was just stirred and moved. Why? I believe because there was praise happening. There was something that happens when there's this huge group of people leading Jesus in. And they believe that he's the king. They believe. They don't understand. I mean, that's kind of the irony and the the sadness of some of this story. But they believe there is this excitement and this passion for Jesus. And as he is coming in and they're singing this song, really, with faith, right? Hosanna. Hosanna. With faith. I believe the presence of God was released. I think something was spiritually happening in that city that literally the whole city was stirred. Something moved inside of them and they were like, dude, what is going on? So literally, who was there at this event? Everyone. Everyone. You had people who believed in him and who were disciples. You had people who were just there because they had heard somebody raised somebody from the dead. And they had probably heard about all the other miracles. So you had curious ones, onlookers. And then you had all the people who did not ask to be there, but were caught up in this parade, as, as, as the youth just said. Just this parade, and all these other people who had nothing to do with the palm branches were looking on going, whoa. See, I believe that this is actually prophetic. That what God would do in our church to bring His glory a church that would bring His presence to this community because we believe Him and we worship Him on earth as it is in heaven, that literally we would change the atmosphere of the city, that people all throughout this community, as we saturate this community with the gospel, as we go viral, literally, fully devoted followers of Jesus, saturating this city with the gospel, planting churches, little churches all over this community, that people would be shaken to the core and they would say... <gasps> Who is this God that you're talking about that's not angry but actually likes us? Who is this God that you're talking about that gave His Son and loves us? What? Because remember, the people who were tax collectors and sinners and that kind of stuff, they were turned off by Pharisees, right? But they were drawn to Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus because of His love because of who he is. And there's a lot of people in our community that are turned off from the gospel because of religion, because of control, because of fakeness. But we are not those people. And when we live our lives authentically for the Lord, loving people, right, that's relevance, right? I've been making jokes the last few weeks about Jesus not being relevant because I just want to mess with us. We're so afraid of what people think, right? We want to make Jesus out to be this like suave communicator when really he walked around and said, I have the water of life for you. What are you talking about? You know, for those of you who haven't been here, you remember I made the joke, you know, it's like me, my co-worker saying, Hey, I'd like a soda. Can you give me a soda? If you knew who I was, I would offer you the soda of life. You know, I'm just sorry. Jesus didn't say it like that. You know, I'm I'm being, I'm being extra uh, theatrical. But the reality is Jesus said a lot of things that would have just thrown people off. Right? I love what Lynn said up there. I don't know. I just don't ask questions. I don't want to look stupid. You know what I'm saying? People want to be like, Jesus is the storyteller, which he is. But if you were there, he would have been like, so, a sower goes and sows the, sows the seed. And he casts the seed over here. And he casts the seed on the hard ground. And he casts the seed on the rocky ground. And he casts the seed on the thorny ground. And he casts the seed on the good ground. And you would have been like, huh? Because he never explained it. Yeah, real relevant, Jesus. Maybe you need to take a preaching practicum class, you know? <laughs> My point is, you know what relevant is? Is love. You can hit someone hard sometimes with the gospel. But if, but if you love them, it's effective and it's relevant. And you can keep your mouth shut at times. There are times to be quiet and there are times to speak. There are times to pray. There's times to build relationships. There's times to ask questions and just listen. And there are times to speak the gospel clearly, succinctly. There's times to ask people, you need to come to Jesus. You want to do it? There's times for that. But you've got timing. We've got to all be spirit led. But the bottom line is love, isn't it? That's what's magnetic. That's what's attractive. And when we declare this is what God has done in my life and this is what God is doing in the world... And and when we really show people who God is and proclaim the truth of God's good news, oh, there's no stopping it. It's going to go viral. And that's what we need, right? So I love this, that everyone was moved in the city. And I believe that this is the kind of atmosphere in our church. This is the kind of thing that's going to happen on Easter Sunday and really happens every Sunday. People gather, some who are not believers. Good! Please, journey with us. Ask the questions. People come who are at different places in their walk with God. But I believe it's as we who are disciples of Christ gather together and lift up the name of Jesus that the presence of God fills this place and people's hearts will be moved. Right? That's so why it's important that you're here. It's why it's important that we invite people. It's why it's important to be here on time and come in and worship God with passion and with faith. And I don't say that because we're going to put on a show. I mean that because that's who we really are, right? That's who we really are. There's one other thing that I see here. When I was... uh, It's interesting. I was 11 years old. I saw my sister. It's right there. Reading her Bible. 11 years old tweener yeah things awaken at that age and i was like what is that i don't know if i I don't know if that was expression on my heart but that is i know what was going on inside of me i remember what is that and she said i'm reading the bible and i was like really i don't know what it was and she talked to me about the word of god she got me a bible i began to read that she took me to church I had these encounters with God huge seed in my heart and though I wouldn't say that it completely bore fruit because it made my own issues when I was 16 as you guys know I met a friend named Ryan Galvin at a Christian club and you know that Ryan Galvin he explained the gospel to me led me to Jesus in his house and I gave my heart fully to the Lord and we had never once talked about going to his church See, God is calling us to be an army of believers who create faith and rise, raise up expectation in the hearts of people and lead them to Jesus even before they come to church. But hey, it's all part of the process, right? I was going to a Christian club, so that helped. And I remember going to his church for the first time on a Wednesday night. became my church. And on that Wednesday night, they were worshiping, and I was rocked. It was literally as if my memory, which I had forgotten for, would have been... Five years, four years. It was literally as if my memory was like, it was like uh, something was totally dormant. And all of a sudden, damn, the memories of being at my sister's church when I was 11 years old came flooding back to me. I remember singing, uh, oh, how awesome is our God or whatever, you know, uh, how God is an awesome God. I remember singing that literally as we're worshiping. This memory comes flooding back to me and I start weeping. Something broke and it was like, I'm home. And I don't mean home because I was at a church building. I mean, I'm worshiping God like I was created to. Look at what Alan said in verse uh, 15 and 16 of the same chapter, Matthew 21 But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, referring to Jesus, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Psalm 8. Jesus quotes a psalm and says to them, Haven't you read? That it's out of the mouths of infants, they, nursing children, like so two three, right? My Emma is not even two, but she runs around and squawks and talks and sings and she's hilarious, right? She's she's just a she's just a riot. So imagine Emma and this. This whole group that was up here dancing and celebrating and running through the temple courts saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Which is appropriate for their age to be having fun and getting excited and being silly and shouting and carrying on. And Jesus, of course, says that praise is perfect. You know, you can... You can eat a lot of carne asada out there. But sometimes, I love carne asada. You know, sometimes you eat it and you think, that's pretty good. And other times you eat it and you think, oh, (laughs) I'm going back to that place, right? Ooh, that's perfect, right? Right? We all know, anyone who's a connoisseur of anything, you know the difference between good and perfect, right? Literally, Jesus is saying, or this verse is saying, that God has literally uh, uh, prepared, has ordained and decided that the most perfect praise would come out of children. That in the ears of God... When he hears children singing to the Lord, God says, oh, now that's good. That's some good carne asada. No, he says, that's some good praise. Mmm, I want some more of that. That's what Jesus is saying, that when we hear these kids worshiping the Lord, there is such sincerity, there is such humility. Jesus says, of such is the kingdom of God right? Referring to children of such is the kingdom of God. Why is it? Why is it that praise is perfect when coming out of the mouths of kids? Because Jesus is of such as, of such as these are the kingdom of God. Why? Because when praise comes out of the heart that is humble and believes God and is completely dependent upon the Lord that delights his heart. And Jesus says, unless we are converted and become like little children, right? To have humble, childlike faith, we cannot even enter the kingdom of God. I believe that not only is praise perfected in in people who are young, physically, but that those who would have childlike faith. That God says, what did did, did God say to uh, the Apostle Paul? 2 Corinthians 12. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Amen. then that when a person would come to God and say, I need you, I cannot do it on my own. You are my Lord. I need your wisdom. I need your advice. I need your grace in my life. I have nothing without you. That complete dependence on the Lord and praises God in that place. Oh, that is perfect praise to God. But when grumbling and complaining come out of our mouth. Right People you know, I believe God. And the next thing out of their mouth is some complaining. Really? Do you say you believe God or does God say you believe God? You know? Who are we trying to impress here with our praise? I want to give God the faith of Jesus. I want to give God the praise of childlike faith. Amen? It's like when we were singing that desert song that Sean led us in a couple weeks ago to say, I will rejoice. I will praise you. You are a good God. I love that. It's one of my favorite songs just to declare you are a good God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's actually Psalm 107 where we get that song from. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Literally, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's what should be coming out of our mouth. The language of our hearts and the language of faith is thankfulness that you are a good God. That's what gives God glory on the earth. There is is a commitment in our lives and in our church to disciple every age, right? We're not called to just necessarily reach like one age group or something like that. But we are called to reach every person and invite them to be followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the best way to live. That's the only way to eternal life. But there is something very specific and special about the heart of God for the next generation. Amen? It's not that it's the next generation or... It's not young or old. It's not either or. It's that we disciple people. But there is something very special and specific in the heart of God for the next generation. And it's His strategy for impacting this world. Let me just quote to you from Psalm 78 as we wrap up today. But I would say that in our church, what the Lord is calling us to is disciple everyone, what we envision is a church where every person is fully devoted to Jesus. They're intimate with the Lord, right? They believe Him, they know Him, they're becoming like Him, and they're partnering with Him to advance His kingdom. That means everybody, every age. And I envision a church where the parents and the adults are going for it, and they're imparting that to the next generation. It takes that kind of community. That is why the Lord has called me to be a senior pastor. And yet what the Lord is saying to our church is as as we are discipling everyone, that the young must be our focus. Must be our focus. And so that in Psalm 78, it's powerful. He says this in verse 4, this psalmist. He says, we will not hide them talking about the things that God has done from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. The psalmist is declaring, we will not hide what God has done. Isn't that what we're talking about? We will not hide what God has done in this church. We will not hide what God has done in my life. We will proclaim the praises of God among the nations, among those who are far from God, among the next generation. We will not hide. We will not be silent. Amen? He's declaring it and making a personal commitment. And then he turns in verse 5. And he establishes his commitment on the commandment of the Lord. Listen to this. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them. The, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. That they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And it goes on. Let me go back and read this again really quick. Notice he says, God commanded these people to proclaim what God has done to their children. And then he says, That the generation to come might know them. The children who would be born. Who's he talking about? He tells you in the next section. That they may arise and declare to their children. Do you know what he's talking about? That Dave Turner would declare to his kids. So that his kids would declare to their kids. Four generations are right there. Do you know, we like to say with our kids' ministry, and we are, we've been like revamping curriculum. We've been like looking at designing a discipleship program for kids and parents. We've been looking at our vision. We've been looking at this. We've been, we've been changing systems because we want to do what God is called to do in raising up the next generation. But you know what we say when I say the next generation, what I mean? I mean what this means. You know, like we like to say, raising up the next generation of kingdom leaders. I like that phrase. We might actually stick with it. You know what the next generation is? My kids' kids. And you know what leaders are, right? From parents to presidents. We are... to raise up... kingdom leaders... who pass on that... to another generation... that isn't even born yet. My vision... must be for my kids' kids. See, nowadays... Our economy, this isn't the only reason, but I'm going to harp on something, is falling apart because all we think about is the next month. And so when all you have is a next month goal, there's no integrity, and there's no long-term strategies, and you're so myopic and narrow-minded that debt is okay. It's okay to pass on trillions of dollars of debt to the next generation because we just need to you know, have a budget or something like that. When you have a short vision, you have that kind of strategy, right? Churches who only define success by numbers. Numbers are important because lots of people need to get come to Jesus, right? Multitude of disciples is what God is calling us to believe for here at this church. But when all you think of is numbers, then that's what your goal is, right? No, we are not successful until we raise up kids who parent their kids into revival. Amen? And we must have a vision of that kind of kingdom perspective, that kind of legacy, that kind of generational perspective. And that changes the way we do ministry here. Amen. That changes my investment to kids. And that is what God is calling us to, to disciple the nations and especially the next gen. And I mean kids that aren't even born yet. That's a good word, huh? That's a good word. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Preacher, brother. Let me just... i got to give you one more verse. In Psalm 78, verse 22. It says this. He's talking about... Let me give you a context. He's talking about Israel in the time before they entered in the promised land. He's talking about the generation that refused to believe God and go into the promised land. He's contrasting this generation with God's desire for a revival generation. I use a revival just generically, but... So the goal would be that I would disciple these kids so that in verse 7, they would hope in God. Right? Hope in God. Instead of losing heart and just giving themselves to immorality. But they would have hope and walk in holiness. It says that they wouldn't forget the works of God. See, it's not enough to tell kids stories. We have to believe it and pass on the God of those stories. Amen? It says that they would keep His commandments. They would love God. Really? I love it. Somebody was praying the other day for my my wife and I and our kids and they said it this way. They said that that David's religion, basically they weren't saying that I had religion, but that David's, or no, it was more like that David's faith would not become John David's and Emma's and, and our next child's religion. Right? It's perfect. No, I have faith. But so often, my faith becomes someone else's religion. No, my kids have to know God and believe Him, right? So that's what this is talking about. In contrast to that, verse 22. In contrast to that, because God was angry with them, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in His salvation. In Judges chapter 2, the very next generation that came after, there was a generation that went in, took the promise, and the very next generation, it says of them in Judges 2, they did not know God, nor the works that He had done. Why? No one passed it on. No one passed it on. You want to know why? I just want to end with this. You can only give what you have. On the opposite, you will reproduce yourself. Apple trees only produce apples. It is a natural law. You cannot defy it. Amen? My son, my goodness, he looks just like me. I didn't go to a geneticist or anything, you know what I'm saying? Like it just happened. Spiritual reproduction is the same. Oops, he looks just like me. And there's too much oops. There's too much, well, you know, you know, adolescence, you know. They'll just be adolescents. They'll just be teenagers. My goodness. We've created this cultural thing and said that it has to be. It does not have to be. It's a cultural construct. Just like I refused to participate in the recession, I refuse today to re- participate in adolescence. There it is. We'll have a church without adolescence. No, we want the kingdom of God. You can only reproduce yourself. This all begins with parents and church leaders and us as believers owning I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I will go after God with all of my heart and that is what I will transfer to my children. That is what I will impart. I honor you who are parents. I honor you those who you work with kids. It's not childcare, Amen. You have a ministry from God and you are imparting something but if you don't have it, you can't give it. And so the first call of this, if we are going to have perfected praise coming out of the mouths of our kids, they will imitate us. That's really what they were doing in Matthew 21, were they not? They were dancing around imitating what was happening. They will imitate. And that is both a good thing and a bad thing. We've got to change the way we talk. We've got to watch our conversation and our language. We've got to watch the kind, check the kind of TV shows and movies we watch. It's crazy when you see a toddler or a... Preschooler talking about, you know, the ring or something like that. Craziness. I don't know why my kids have nightmares. I could guess. (laughs) My goodness, right? Flooding our hearts, the hearts of our kid with junk. We need to rise up and own. I, we must disciple the next generation. And it starts with us walking in full devotion, passion and holiness for the Lord. Amen. And then becoming strategic with how we raise up that next gen. I need support. Right? And that's why we're, we're cultivating things. Alright, let's stand up. <clears throat> Alright, now that I've made you hungry, I have given you tacos al pastor. Now, you can go have tacos con carne molida. So... <laughs> um, I love this declaration. The Apostle Paul says that God would get glory in Christ and in the church in every generation. In Christ and the church in every generation. Let's just respond right now that God, would you get the glory in every generation? We mean ours. Amen? Thank you, Father. So we thank you, Lord, for your strategy To reach the world and fill this world with the glory of God like the oceans fill the sea. We ask that you would get your glory today. That you would get your glory in this church. That you would have your glory in our kids and in the next generation. That you would get your glory here in this community. Father, we're asking, Lord, that you would cause us to be fully devoted to you. We need your grace. And that we would just naturally give our lives away. Freely receive, Lord. Freely give. We're asking for that lifestyle in us. (laughs) We can't produce it in ourselves, Lord. No human effort could cause us to be excited about You. But by Your grace, we ask You to burn this in us. To stir this in us. That we wouldn't just be like a day or a week thing. But Lord, we ask for a lifestyle change in us. Change us. Take us deeper as a church. I really do search the heart of God and I ask him, Lord, what am I giving to my kids? And what am I giving to the kids of our church? I want you to join me. We're not motivated by condemnation or like, oh, no, I should do this. Like, I think you guys know those who don't. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by the grace of God. I want normal Christianity. That's what I really mean by revival. So I say, Lord, am I giving to them what is truth, what is real? And let's commit our hearts to go after it. Again, that's what Operation Stall our lives is about. It's a catalyst in our life. We refuse half-heartedness. Amen? So give your heart to the Lord right now. Ask Him. Ask Him right now. Say, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your passion. Give me that faith. Awaken it in me. Just ask Him out loud. Just kind of ask Him in your own words. Say, Lord, teach me from your word. Stir these things inside of me. Father, I am asking that you'd raise up disciples, disciples that make disciples. So, Father, we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.